Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast recorded from the Ruby Barn in Main Street on, in uh, Suffield, Connecticut. This is the first ever live to tape, so to speak, episode. We're sitting right here in my office uh, staring at the same microphone. I'm joined by uh, Jim Chevalier. Hello. Did I say that right? Yeah. Okay. We Got practiced it. for the last three minutes yeah. about this last name. It was, it was grueling. <laughs> <laughs> well, I learned that, that the rest of uh, time called your family... Shovel, yeah, you think? I think so, yeah. But somewhere between your great grandfather and now, you betrayed yeah, I think France. Yeah, I think we just want America. Well, We're all cool. In. All right, Jim, so uh, we just went for a run. Yeah, you schooled me. <laughs> I don't know that that's true. <laughs> so we had never met before, and uh, Jim followed me on Twitter. I noticed that he had a website that we're going to talk all about today. And. Uh, so we got to know each other a bit, and I invited him to come running at my uh, my house, and uh, it relates to the website, but uh, let's talk a little bit about the run. All right. So you were saying how you couldn't you know, run all that fast before a run today. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Typically, I'm doing... I love to get below a nine-minute mile. Like, that, if I can do that, I love it. I'm happy. And, um, yeah, today we shattered that. I know. So that's what you said. You said, oh, I'll do 9.30 on a good day. And yep. we went out and did 8.30. Yeah. So I don't know what to make of that. Yeah, I think that there's something in my head that <laughs> keeps me from getting to 8.30 just on, yeah, I mean, on the regular. You know, you look like you were you were sweating a little bit at the end, yeah. but yep. not that bad. No. Um, I've definitely felt worse on runs. So I never feel that good on a run, and I run every day. Yeah. I don't think you're supposed to. Right. Okay, so the reason we went running is because of your website and because we like to run, so tell me about it. All right, so I'm building citystrides.com, and it gives runners a street-level view of the running. So basically, everybody's got RunKeeper or MapMyFitness or Strava, and uh, they can connect their account into CityStrides, and I process all their running and I figure out what streets they run and in which cities. So you told me a little bit about how this came to be, but why don't you tell the story? So why did you build it in the first place? Yeah, it started as um, I was sitting in a bar talking to my wife and a friend that was a bartender. And I said, I wonder if I could run every street in my city. And it was a bit of a scoff, a bit of a laugh. And I said, no, really. How many drinks? Oh, just a couple. Okay. This was something I've been thinking about. So it, was, it wasn't it like just happened. Eight, yeah, it wasn't just, like an eight drinks in. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I think I could beat Mike Tyson <laughs> with one punch kind of moment. <laughs> nope, have those. But uh, <laughs> this time it was something I thought about, and I just voiced it. It was it was just that uh, that moment of saying what I've been thinking about for a little while and kind of making it real, mm-hmm. kind of putting myself in a situation that I had to do it, call myself out. Now, um, how big of a city this isn't? This isn't like Los Angeles. Uh, no, it's uh, That'd be hard. pretty small, yeah. It's 470-something streets. Mm-hmm. Um, Square miles, do you know? Not a clue. Um, <laughs> Should have looked that up. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be on the final. Yeah, so, okay, okay, all right. Yeah, we got time. Um, so it's either shaped like a bunny or like a middle finger, <laughs> depending on which way you're squinting. Right. Um, it actually is. The... The way you run, or no? The, or just um, the city, the city map, like the boundaries of the city, mm-hmm. are shaped like that. And so it was it's unclear how big it is, but you know that it's shaped like a yeah, like bunny. I'm going with bunny. Okay. Um, so you wanted to run every street. Yeah, 
and I had I've, I had been using RunKeeper for a while, so I had that part covered. I knew I had some back data. Um, while I was building it out for myself, it was really not too much more effort to add a login and let others people you know others use it. So uh, I went ahead and added that, and then not too far into getting myself in there, I realized that I might as well add more cities. And then it kind of went from there. And, yeah. uh, so let's be super specific. So take me. I live in Suffield, Connecticut. Yep. And if my goal was to run every street, how does the how does City Stride sort of help me accomplish that specifically? All right. So you'd connect your account, and I'd process all the running you've done so far. And that specifically is each of your tracked runs is really just a collection of points on a road or just in space, really. And then the data that I have for uh, the streets in Suffield is really just comparatively a set of points. So okay. I've got a bunch of points, they're called nodes, and each of the you know set of nodes corresponds to a street, and all the streets are within the, the boundary of you know, Suffield. Got it. Um, so I'm comparing, uh, in the back end, I'm just comparing... You say one of your points in one of your runs, finding the closest point to that and saying, are you within, say, 200 feet? Because there's a lot of wobble with um, track runs. If you ever looked at some runs, it looks like your family circus styling through everybody's backyard when you're really on the, on the street. So you like smooth it out or you just proximity search it? Yeah. For now, um, for now, I just proximity 200 feet. Mm-hmm. And if you're close enough, then you're good. Um, I've, I find like... I like to get it functional and then optimize as I need. So I've gone through some iterations that, you know, a few that I've since forgotten. But. So the user doesn't have to inven- like either inventory of the streets or manually check off which ones they've ever... Right. So right. along in the, in the first, you know, little... When I first started, it was you had to go in and check the streets that you wanted or check the uh, cities that you wanted to run. Mm-hmm. You had to actually say, oh, I'm joining up with this city. But I figured out a way to make it so I could just tell you where you're running, which is really fun because now I've got a bunch of users with like a dozen cities. Right. Because they run when they travel or something. And it's, it's really cool that way. So let's talk specifics about, <clears throat> well, before I do that. So in terms of completing the city, yeah. is, there, is it something more than the list of streets or is there a, is there a like map view into it? What's, wh- how do I interact with the, the, the sort of task at hand. Yep. So you log in and you'd uh, get your list of cities that you're running and then uh, click on that. It takes you to the city's page and the city's got a map and then it's got a list of uh, all the streets that you've run and then uh, below that a list of all the streets you have not yet run. Um, to the right of the map you've got a nice little display of like a progress bar and you know total streets run and total streets left and kind of percentage completion. Um, I'm working on some stuff with percentage completion for a leaderboard that'll come out pretty soon. I'm pretty excited about that. So we were having a drink before this, and uh, I was saying that I like the I like the game side of it. I like the idea of you know seeing yeah. if I can complete the city. I haven't looked to see how many streets mm-hmm. Suffield has yet. But I think it'd take a bit of time because Suffield's yeah. kind of big. Yeah, I really feel like I maybe a part of it is you could try to do it as fast as you possibly could but i almost feel like 
I'll end up running a lot of the streets twice before I'm done, just mm-hmm. because it's just so enjoyable to find new routes and you know just explore new parts of your city. Yeah. So let's talk about the technical side of it. So how how do the uh, various like running services like RunKeeper mm-hmm. um, how do they represent the runs? How does the data come back? They I don't know if they just all you know one of those things where everybody arrives at the solution to a problem the same way. Mm-hmm. They all pretty much normalize around you've got a um, activity, and then an activity has a set of points. So they're just just listed out. Like usually, it's just latitude, longitude, and elevation. Um, timestamp. Times. Uh, yeah, timestamps. Um, and then I, I kind of drop a little bit of the data because I just figured I needed specifically the coordinates. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't need the elevation because I wasn't really doing any processing as far as you know the highest streets you've run or anything like that. <clears throat> Um, so they're all pretty normalized and, um, yes, that part is pretty simple. All right. So then let's say we have one run, like our run today. Yeah. So RunKeeper brings back a list of the points along that activity. Yep. And then how, how specifically then do you go about taking that list of points and then, uh, intersecting it with the, the, uh, the streets? Okay. Um, I do... Basically, use delayed job to constantly every you know once an hour look at people and see what they're what they're doing if there are any new activities. Oh, um, so they don't, they, they, you have to pull. Them yeah, to there's track. there's no webhook there. Mm-hmm. Would be fantastic to be able to get alerts from the services that a, a run was completed, but I have to do it manually now. I was having you know I was having breakfast with a guy from GitHub recently, just a friend around here, and uh, uh, we were talking about webhooks and how they're they're super great. But not consistently implemented. No, no and no. I think that that's like there's there some good reasons for that. I think there's some hard problems in webhooks, but it'd be nice. Yeah, yeah, they got to be, especially when you're when you're operating at a scale like Runkeeper is to handle those webhooks on their side is probably a bigger problem than it is for me to pull on my side. Well, but it reduces. I mean, it's cheaper to send the webhooks than it is to get pulled. I, I Right. Unless, I mean, I guess it depends on the frequency of update, but yeah, I mean, sense. if you're pulling, if, if someone goes for a run once a day and you're pulling once an hour, then definitely it's cheaper to yeah. send the hook. Yeah. Um, um, anyways. Yeah. So I've got a little button. You could skip to the headline if you just rent for a run and you want to just get it done right, right away, which is, I like that. Um, so you use delayed job, huh? Yeah. I'm sort of a sidekick fan. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I'm leading that way. It's a, uh, I've had to upgrade the server. Once, just because of the amount of memory being taken up, so well, really, psychic will fix that. Yeah, have you used psychic before? Not yet. Oh yeah. So I need, I think I need to find a project to put it in, and that way I get a feel for it before I, I like to get a get a feel for things before I just toss them into a bigger projects like this. Well, I mean, you could use it so you can replace one oh, just asynced one job. job at a time. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, hmm. I mean, you may have to fire up one. Well, you wouldn't even. So you could fire up an additional server if you needed to, mm-hmm. or what web server to use? I use Linode. Oh, so no big deal to right. for me to run another process. Right. So oh, sorry, you're saying service so you or use, server? Well, so you use Linode. Yeah. So running a different service on Linode, like oh yeah, would be, no whatever. Yeah. It's not like Heroku or something right. where yeah. you have to be a little bit more clever to run it. Um. 
not, I mean, clever, yeah. to run it, <laughs> clever to run it without starting an additional dyno is what I meant. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so no big deal then. So just, you, you can take one job and decide that you're going to use Psychic for that to get a feel for it. Cool. Psychic is like like one of the world's best um, um, finders of, uh, of uh, race conditions. So whatever race yeah. conditions you have in your app, it'll find them all. Well, that's kind of what I'm worried about is I'm going to put some, like, if, mm-hmm. I go, if I go all in, then I definitely run that serious possibility of just breaking everything. But yeah, but one at a time. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah, that sounds like a good tactic. Yeah. Even maybe like one user, like I could throw myself in there as a guinea pig. Yeah, or pick something that's like, I never say this word out loud, is it uh, idempotent or... Oh yeah, nobody knows how to say that. Okay, so yes, it's not... Actually, nobody knows how to say okay. that. Okay, <laughs> that, that thing that, yeah. that where you can do something twice without it, yeah. or multiple times without it causing anything negative to happen. Yeah. So it's pretty easy to tell if a job is that. And then what's the big deal if it's running multiple times? Like you're like, well, yeah, that's fine. who cares? Yeah. Um, the race conditions can be tricky. You have to move callbacks to after command. You know, there are some things to do, okay. but it's it's not that bad. Hmm. And, and it's pretty great. I've got to split out enough that I could probably take out little pieces. Because I've got jobs. It's not just a matter of pulling Runkeeper or you know, Strava or something for the activities. But it's also um, kind of getting a, a new list of that person's cities that they're running. Um, so what I, Which I, is computationally expensive, but not, not latency expensive. Yeah, so... There are like the the really dumb way of looking at this is I'm going to go grab every single point from an activities perspective, and then I'm going to compare those to every single point from a streets perspective. But now we're talking billions of points. Like I've I'm across at least 15 countries right now, mm-hmm. so like I've just got too many points to compare like that. So I use KD trees to. Like, Which are super awesome. Yeah. Do you use that gem, the Katie Tree yeah. gem? Yeah, I do. So I've, um, well, let's finish off on the sidekick and then I've got a question about the Katie Tree gem. So, yeah. so anyways, yeah, give it, like, totally give it a shot because the IO bounce or the IO mm-hmm. um, bottleneck stuff is what it really will smoke at because most of those jobs is just waiting for the services to, to return. Yeah. Right, so you figure like every call to Runkeeper is probably like ninety percent latency on the out and back side, maybe more. Mm-hmm. Um, so with delayed job, you're just going to consume the you know the processor and Sidekick. You could run twenty five concurrent and hmm. like use the same. Or I bet you could. I bet you could run fifteen to twenty and use this exact same amount of memory and wow. CPU. Even well, you'd use. You'd use more CPU, but mm-hmm. but it wouldn't. Um, the I/O isn't blocking, so you've got it yeah. available. It, it's really nice. Yeah, my my bottleneck is RAM for my processing like, because you've because you've got to boot multiple apps, though, right? Yeah, I guess uh, I've got two workers and so two queues of delayed yeah. job, and One. they each fire up a instance of the Rails app. Yeah, yeah. So Sidekick, every one of the every. Um, Concurrent worker, I don't think that's the name in Psychic, mm-hmm. but every uh, unit of concurrency mm-hmm. is just sharing the the one app. Okay. Wow. So you could run a thousand concurrent on one app if you had enough memory. Each mm-hmm. one, say, so so the memory like calculation on Psychic would be like whatever it costs to boot the app. So say like a hundred meg or something like that. Yeah. And then or less, 
and then every um, uh, whatever your concurrency setting is, each of the workers or whatever the word that they use, mm -hmm. each of the workers would add like 15 meg or 10 meg or 5 meg, whatever. Yeah, so, awesome. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you can run, um, you can get the same work done with, I don't know, one tenth of resources. Wow. That's nice. I feel like it's one of those, I've had a few along the way where you make one little breakthrough, one change that just completely overhauls how the app exists in the server. Like, I hit a ceiling and I think, oh, this is the time I've got to buy, you know, I've got to upgrade the right. server. And then I find something that just halves it or more. Psychic is, Psychic is that, I think. Cool. It's, it's super efficient for the kind of problem that, that, uh, that you have. There's something that's called Psytick too, hmm. which is a gem that adds functionality to Psykick. Mm -hmm. I actually, so I had Mike on the show, the guy that made Psykick, and I think he should add this to Psykick. He didn't agree, but yeah. so Psytick is this gem that adds like, uh, recurring job features to okay. to Sidekick, which doesn't natively support them. It supports scheduled, so you can say like perf, you know mm -hmm. perform at or whatever the yeah. syntax is. But Sidekick um, allows you to like declare okay like recurrence due, and then describe you know daily oh. the dot you know minutely mm -hmm. fifteen, and that'll be like uh, or minutely fifteen, which is mm -hmm. run every fifteen minutes. You can provide very like interesting descriptions of what kind of recurrence a job has hmm. and then it'll schedule itself okay. and I, I don't remember the name of the guy that wrote it but it's super good like a plus job so it sounds like he's kind of bringing whenever into the mix yeah it's like i used to use um i think it was called clockwork which was made hmm. by adam wiggins the guy that <clears throat> founded heroku mm -hmm. and it's like a better version of that cool um really really good I hack it out, so at the end of a job, I just call the job again. <laughs> just totally. Oh, you'll, <laughs> yeah. So it's it's better than that. Like, <laughs> so so I use uh, all the time. I I make like um, kind of like a tick job. Okay. Where well, side tick. So it'll tick every second or every five seconds or every whatever it is, constantly, always in the background, and then check something. Wow. Like so, I'll. I'll push jobs onto a queue of some sort. Yep. Well, and I'm saying not queues like sidekick queues because then sidekick just handles it. But let's say the queue is like, I want to check the status of something external every now and then, or even mm -hmm. internal. Then I just use sidekick to push, uh, uh, push those jobs. And then I use sidekick to consume them and run them. You know, if it has resources huh. or side or sidekick, depending on what it is, sidekick <laughs> to do it right then. But it's super great. Like, it's exactly what you said. It's going to be one of those things you're like, whoa, oh, that's, I, I should do this. Right, I got to go because I got to go do that. Well, so here's, <laughs> exactly. So uh, tell me about how you use KD trees to do the searching. Yeah, I use KD trees. I got to remember this. Um, do you know how they work? Yeah. Well, I guess I can say kind of because I get the basics. I get the, I get the idea that you basically split. It sounds like you split it into a grid. You've got a, you overlay a grid onto a huge set of area, and you're only concerned about a specific grid, right? And then you just expand your grid. I don't know how that works. Oh, cool. I think that's how it works. <laughs> you're teaching me. Okay. So I think that... So, like, the internet will right. decide you're wrong, but I am, that's not, fine. I am not going to decide There, There wrong. is a Wikipedia page that's really good at explaining <laughs> this. And I think that what it does is you, you, it takes a bunch of coordinates, spaces them out in grids... And knows that you're in grid like A4, and it only looks there. And then 
if it's if the thing that you're okay. looking for isn't there, then it spaces out one more level, and it just keeps going until it gets what you want. So in my case, in 200 feet, my grid's super tiny compared to, you know, the world. Right. The Katie Tree gem for Ruby is, like, absurdly fast. Yeah. Well, yeah. because it's it's actually a C implementation of Katie Tree with a, like a super lightweight Ruby wrapper around it. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> and then I I. I persist everything that I need to, to files. Mm -hmm. So I only do it once whenever anything changes. So I don't have to reprocess a KD tree either. I just have to open the file. So and what do you persist? Like the, the that you've hit a street or what activity or which of the like yeah. points there, in the run? There are what street? two things that I persist. And I try to... I, it's one of those things I, I built and then they worked and then I put it away and I just... Like most of anything I've ever yeah. built. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> like like 99% of the code. That I've so I know that when I add more cities to CityStride, to CityStride, I have to um, generate a new city KD tree. And so I think what that's... <laughs> I'm wondering about my own software. Um, not too complex. So it... Uh, to find like the closest city to you to figure out if you've run mm -hmm. that city, I just do a KD tree for all the cities in, in the world and with the first point in your activity. So our activity today, um, I've never run in Suffield, right? So now the next time I get processed, City Strides will take that first point that I first started recording and run and then find the closest city. And that's going to be this one. Gotcha. And that's how it adds to the cities that I run. So do you want to hear about a technique that'll make this super easier? Uh, sure. So you never know about this because it's sort of like good news and bad news to find out that there's I love, like, I love you know, deleting code. Okay. Absolutely love so it. So I've, I've got some, I've got some insight on this. Okay. But first I've got some insight on our first sponsor. Can we uh, switch over to do that? Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So I decided I'm going to try something new. Mm -hmm. Um, like I've been told many times that I've got a voice that sounds like like a radio announcer voice. Well, I don't know if that's oh, true or not, but I decided that for all uh, for all sponsor reads starting this month, mm -hmm. I'm going to do it in radio announcer voice. Oh, nice! Right? Oh, you should. You do it. You, you are you do all timey, or are you just going all in on your own your own self? Uh, I'm going to do like yeah. If I was a radio announcer that was not being ironic, okay. Like intentionally ironic, not ironic, or yeah, so no. So like I'm like, as if uh, you know, this was this was my job. All right, sort of is. <laughs> <In this context. laughs> okay, so I'm. Uh, <clears throat> that's right. I got to switch to it. Yep. So I'm very happy today to be uh, announcing a new sponsor to the podcast, which is Mailchimp.com. Mailchimp.com means easy email newsletters. MailChimp helps you design newsletters, share them on social networks, integrate with services you already use, and track your results. It's like your own personal publishing platform. They help you customize your sign-up form to match your brand, so you can share it on your website. You can even integrate it into your Facebook page. You can cl uh, collect sign-ups from an iPad or a laptop. Importing an existing list into MailChimp is a snap, no matter its format. You can also personalize everything your subscribers see, including sign-up forms and confirmation emails. There's never been a better time to try MailChimp. 
With their entrepreneur plan, if you have under 2,000 subscribers, you can send 12,000 emails per month forever. Just visit MailChimp.com slash 5x5 to learn more. Thanks to MailChimp. What do you think? You're going to do it again with your voice? <laughs> ah. Oh, man. Ah. <laughs> I thought I thought it was pretty close to your actual voice. Maybe that's the joke. Oh. Did you just start? I just... You, you just start. It's just what I sound like. <laughs> All right. We'll do old-timey next, then. All right. Anyways, so... There's a way to do that. I don't remember, but you can, like, cup your hands over your mouth and, like, a certain oh, like, way like, to hold your nose... At the same time? Or you're just trying to get me to do that? No, I'm, it, it's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. Well, anyway, so in all seriousness, uh, try MailChimp. I have many times recreated MailChimp's uh, features and uh, every time wondered why I did that. No more. No more. No, no more. Especially with, I mean, a lot of, a lot of services that uh, I build or you build, you know, 2,000 subscribers is, is a decent number. Yeah. So you can get pretty far with MailChimp for free. Yeah, you can. So the uh, the good news or bad news is that I think that there may be a a cheap and easy, so to speak, solution. Okay. Have you used PostGIS? Uh, I have not. Oh, yeah. It's a revelation. I I've run across it. I've seen it mentioned time and time again because that's what OpenStreetMap is all about. Is it? It's in Post uh, Postgres PostGIS. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And I feel like. So I made the choice to go MySQL because... Oh, ma- no, sorry. No, stop, stop. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so mainly because of comfort. Yeah. And so I feel like I've, I've, I've optimized a lot along the way, realizing each time I do that I'm just putting away, putting back the inevitable, hmm. that eventually I'll probably have to just move over for their, you know, their proper right. database. Well, They're, let me tell you about it anyways. Yeah, yeah. So, and I mean, it's not like it's not like you've got so much data that migrating, if if you wanted to, would be such a pain. It'll be terrible. How how big of a database is it? Uh, let's see. I think last I looked, I don't know if I was over ten gigs. Wow. Um, I have a lot of points. I got, I, right? <laughs> yeah. A lot of points. Okay. Well, so that would take some time. But anyway, I'm going to tell you about PostGIS because whatever, maybe it sounds like a good idea sometimes. Yeah. So I had this, I was doing the exact same thing that, that you were doing with Katie Trees to search for close yeah. um, geographic elements. Like exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> had the same experience where I heard people talking about PostGIS and, you know, the same similar context too. Okay. So I decided to bite the bullet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, first was, now it's easier, but just getting the extension into Postgres. Like, I feel like Postgres and me don't speak the same language yeah. at all. Right. But, you know, I found the happy path in some blog posts that got me, you know, installing it right. Or maybe it was the Postgres. You know what? That's not even true. I, maybe I did that, but then ultimately I used the Postgres app, the one that uh, Heroku put out, so that you could just like run Postgres with like a like a you know one double click in your OS X okay. machine, and then it would it would uh, install it, expose it on the right port, and then when you oh. quit it, unwind it. Oh wow! Yeah. 
it's like perfect. Yeah. If uh, if like me, you know, you and Postgres are are at odds. Yeah. Anyways, it it was pretty easy to add PostGIS the extension to uh, the Postgres app. But anyways, it it makes what you described so fast, it's like mind numbing. Because it's got to be like proper SQL, right? Well, it's like PostGIS. SQL. The extension, yeah. The yeah, extension. so, um, and I'm not that smart about PostGIS, but I've used it to do this. So you can say, like, uh, so you could have a, um, for every city, mm-hmm. you could store the the outline of the city. Okay. Let's just say you, you did yeah. that. Yeah. Then you could say, all right, I've got a point, or a series of points, or frankly, even another polygon of some sort. Mm-hmm. Uh what is it contained in? Mm-hmm. Like, that's, like, native to PostGIS. So, <laughs> like, what city is this point, or what cities, because in case they're, like, yeah. concentric or something, yeah. um, is this contained in? Bang. Just returns it. Wow. You could take the path, so, like, the, the each run, and you could say, what streets does this intersect? In one SQL statement? No. And get it, and get it back. <laughs> And get it back instantly. No. Because, you, because so not everything in PostGIS is indexed. Okay. How, however, uh, basically everything can be if you, you know, right. handle it the right way. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure you have an indexed query mm-hmm. that would run fine for any, fine. You wouldn't have to pre-process anything mm-hmm. that says take this path, mm-hmm. which you could just natively store in in the database, like it's fine. And then say, what does that, what other paths does it intersect? Bang. Like get it right back. Oh man. That, that, that's painful to hear. Oh, I warned you. I even said, <laughs> yeah, should yeah, we, no, should we go down this path? Yeah, no, we should. <laughs> I mean, that path has to go, has, has to be traveled. It, it is. And, and the, the best thing about it is it's even more painful than I'm making it sound like. Like, or it, it, more painful as in, it's okay. so effective yeah. that you'll go, I can't believe that I did not Just do did this not. before. Yeah. So now, is this taking into account that um, your run is, is consistent of points? I mean, how does... Oh, sure. Yeah, so what you do, and, and apologies to those people that are listening that are post-GIS experts as I, like, butcher the details. <laughs> Basically, the... yeah, you don't, you don't, <laughs> you don't know. even know. So... <laughs> Just, <laughs> I'm telling you, this is sort of baloney what I'm saying, but yeah. it's like my pseudocode explanation of how That's it works. Perfect. So basically, you can, uh, uh, you create, you would take the series of points and in the query, say, you create the object in PostGIS. So, okay. like, you know, make a, I forget the names of them, but make a this. Yep. Polyline? Uh, like, po- sure. Make a polyline, whatever yeah. it's called. That's, yeah. Out of this string of coordinates, yeah, and then tell me what um, what Perfect. stored polylines it intersects. <laughs> like it, it ha- yeah. it's it just works. It's it, yeah. Now the documentation is like super thorough, mm-hmm. and if you're new to it, and we'll talk about Open Street Maps in a second, which is going to have some things in common with this. But yep. if you're new to it, it is deep end. Because you're like, I don't know how this works. I don't even understand what they're talking about. Yeah. I'm used to SQL being the way SQL is. And now all of a sudden I'm not thinking about, you know, hey, like, 
look for this text or you know a, a integer greater than blah and join it's like it takes your SQL concepts and adds this um, uh, GIS dimension to it this like you know shapes and intersections and unions and all that jazz and it takes a minute to adjust it's sort of like if have you ever used R before no not yet okay so R is like this where when you first use R it takes a while to catch on that it's it does it's matrix math so it's mm -hmm. You know, you're operating on matrices, and it's like lightning fast and unbelievably amazing. But until you're used to that, it, it, it's a little bit of a mind bender. Right. Post GIS, at least to me, was a bit of a mind bender until you get your feet under you, and then you're like, oh, okay, this isn't mm -hmm. that bad. Hmm. But like, my guess from what you said is like a decent amount of both the time and code mm -hmm. to do the part about city matching and street matching is like two queries. It's a, yeah, because I had this happen, and I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" It's a big process of in MySQL land. That is, that's your all-day job. So is this good? So how do you like? This is a fun sort of meta topic. Mm -hmm. How do you feel? Because I have this moment all the time where I'm like, I, I, I've been, you know, I've constructed some sort of like Rube Goldberg contraption oh, yeah. to do something, and then I find out that you could flick your finger and do it. Oh yeah, if you know what you're doing. How does that feel when you find out things like that? I think it's amazing. I like. I look for those moments again and again. So it's like I've done that. I I don't even remember throughout the project so far, but I've done that at least six times. Mm. Like, just I build. It's almost like I build. I have an idea that I, I have a problem that I need to solve, and then I build the solution to the idea, the problem I think I have. And I either learn that the problem's different or that there's another way to solve it. So it's all learning. So at the end of the day, like having having started in this industry from nothing, from just I want to try it out and mm -hmm. I'm just going to poke at things until they work, I'm just always in that mindset of being comfortable with finding something that completely wipes away like months of work right. just because... That's it's fine. It's just the nature of how things progress. And I think that I think that Rails learning to program in Rails effectively sort of has that arc to it. So <clears throat> I love when you talk to someone that's just learning Rails, mm -hmm. and they'll come up with the most crazy questions and bug, bug air quotes here bugs. Yep. You could ever, you couldn't possibly conceive of these once you've been programming in Rails for a while, and. You know, then they realize, oh, wait a second, I, I wrote, a, you know, I don't know, a 60-line method, and it turns out it was, it was like, one line. It was, like, seven characters would have gotten done yeah. the same thing once I knew what I was doing. And, uh, you know, I think that's just part of learning. You know, you appreciate the, you appreciate the easy stuff once you've yeah, had um, it hard. It's also, there's an understanding of everything that goes into, like... We have all of these libraries, we have gems, we have, you know, even PostGIS, we have these big things that make our life simpler because somebody went through these problems. Yeah. So, and there's nothing wrong with going through the problem again, like reinventing the wheel, and so to speak, mm -hmm. when, when, the, when you don't have an alternative goal. Like, if I had a sales goal to meet, then, like, somebody would be angry at me for having spent so much time on something that's just going to be replaced or done better. 
you know, but if this is just a I mean, labor of love at the moment, so it's well, all, and, I mean, it's all hey, good. You don't know. You didn't. He didn't know. I mean, I, I think it's sort of silly when people get upset that there there could have been a faster way. I mean, true. I don't know. Yeah, if you don't know. I mean, yeah. If you don't know, if you, you don't know, know, you don't know what the hell. Right. If you if you know and you're purposely go down this path that's out of the way and wrong, then that that sure sounds bad. But yeah. I, I haven't done that, so you just figure things out, and it's 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 part of the fun. Mm-hmm. It's it's a I don't know. It's like a great discovery, like to to know that. Usually, if something like this comes across, it's because it's I'm at a point where I'm hitting resource levels like at max. I've got nowhere else to go. I'm gonna have to throw money at the problem, right. and then I learn that that one thing, and it drops it all back down. And yeah. it's just, constraints are fun that way. Yeah, you know they they make you think a little bit more. Yep. Um, so let's talk about the the street data itself. All right. So when you decide because of someone's activity that you want to get the. Um, the, the street information into your app. Yeah. What happens? I mean, I said open street yeah. map, so I know that much, but, yeah. but yeah. what else happens? It's absolutely massive. And I've gone, th- this is the, the area of the site that I've made the most progress on from day one to now and what I'll continue to optimize. Um, learning open street map data for me has been very difficult. Um, they've got, th- they've got an API, um, I'm blanking on the name right now. Um, it's got a name? Yeah, yeah. It's like this. It's, like it's not just the OpenStreetMaps API? Yeah. It, it, a lot of stuff feels disconnected and kind of like um, it's more of an open thing. Like OpenStreetMap data is one thing. And then I get the sense that like the web editing interface is like the latest one right now that keeps on coming out is ID. It keeps on being updated fairly frequently. And it's like, I feel like that's like another thing that just edits data. So they're, they're all independent. They seem to me that they're all independent projects that are have a single goal. So mm-hmm. they're all kind of working separately, but together. Uh, Overpass API is what it is. Overpass. Yeah. And so... It's cute. Yeah. So there's a you know, proper API, command line access... They also have a web interface, which is really cool to get a sense of what you're doing. Of um, Like for the API? Like an yeah. API Explorer kind of deal? Yeah, it's two panes. On the left pane, you've got your text that you're like you're basically formatting like an XML-ish query. Um, you're going to say like area, parentheses, something, and then relation. You know, you're giving like, you're asking for relation levels. So everything's mm-hmm. in like administrative levels that I'm looking at. Um, and those mean countries... Uh, regions, right. cities, um, and then so you're query, you're crafting that query on the left, and then you can run it. And on the right panel, you have either a map that like shows the data that you requested, like outlines of things mm-hmm. or lines or whatever, uh, or you can switch over the data, which is what I focus on, where it's like I'm asking for all of the cities within the region, whatever in. The, in the country, whatever, mm-hmm. and then those come back with all of those uh, names in every language you can think of, uh, the main ID that they use to access it, um, and then I can take that and kind of whittle down further and further until eventually uh, the whole process ends up with 
uh, two JSON files. One is streets, which have IDs that reference the other file, which has nodes. Um, so I just basically dump all the streets into the database, and then I dump all the nodes. And because I've got IDs on both ends, mm-hmm. the relations are, are sorted out. And do you like purge and reload every once in a while? Nope, I haven't done any purging yet. Um, I'm kind of dreading that because I know that OpenStreetMap changes like minutely. So the stuff that um, that I've did, that I've done months ago is, is outdated by now. Mm-hmm. Um, the countries that I've been working in have been, you know, pretty well, you know, pretty modern countries. So I'm hoping that there's not a ton that's like changed. not Yugoslavia or anything. No, I haven't done that yet. <laughs> um, I've got somebody in Czech Republic running. That's not. I mean, that's well developed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm. I haven't really dove into uh, a lot of the. It's almost like the harder countries that are not categorized well and not labeled well, and. Um, so, like, perfect world would be that, uh, like, you could snap your fingers, reload the streets for all the areas that you needed every every day or every minute or every instant, whatever it was. Yeah. And then yeah. the the uh, intersection of the runs and the streets would be free. That's, like, perfect, right? Yeah. Um, I've even thought, like, how, like... How could I get just the planet file if they give they create a new planet file every day? So the Geofabric, I think I that's uh, some uh, German company that just releases countries' uh, okay. files. Um, so basically, what I'm doing in the back end is I'm taking uh, those planet files. So I've got like Germany's file, and then I've got um, through the API requests, I've got a list of cities that are categorized under regions and that's really specific country region city mm-hmm. and then uh, within that information I'm just basically like pulling out like you know strand by strand until I get down to streets and I've got those ca- streets categorized under a city which is I feel like things are really well organized at the country level um, you can get down to the region level so this is like a state like Massachusetts Connecticut um, as soon as you dive into you go the extra step into the city level, they there isn't that data available. Like I'm creating mm-hmm. it as I go. I've got some GitHub repositories of the poly files that you can use to pull the cities out of OpenStreetMap. Like so, that's free for anybody to use. I just figured maybe somebody else needs right. data from Connecticut, um, things like that. Um, so it sounds like like OpenStreetMaps is. Amazing it's and crazy good. A little, a little much. It's a lot to work with. So um, not in a bad way, but no. it's it's um, a lot to work with, and there's a steep learning curve right up front. So, um, you know, just got to get over that, and I just find them constantly getting over that learning curve. Yeah. Um, I think the optimal situation, if I could, I think the thing that stops me is even if I had a planet file in a database fully accessible I still have to create the relationship between the node the street and the city so I still need to generate those relationships somehow and I don't know that having like a local OpenStreetMap server would really help that mm-hmm. I think I still have to create that data yeah I would love to be proven wrong on that 
Love it. I don't have it for you. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, hey, if the <clears throat> if the intersection stuff is cheap, it would make staying linked to the latest OpenStreetMap a lot easier. Yeah. I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, if, if the end result is always that I need streets and nodes in my database, then that overhead of bringing a country into my database is huge. Like, mm-hmm. for a city like, say, London, Boston, I mean, that's like a weekend import like of just sitting waiting for data to get into my source and how much of that is like pulling the data files down and how much of that is like parsing you know ETLing it into whatever structure you put it into um, I'd say I've gotten the actual like um, say you've got the United States planet file mm. and I can get the cities out of that um Something like like Boston, um, down to I'd say the high minutes, low hours area. So like, it takes a little while, but it's not nearly as time intensive as it was when I first started, and really didn't know what I was doing at all. So I've learned a lot to bring that down. The um, I find this is going to be a little bit humbling. I don't know if like I'm missing something. One of those moments where there's some super, you know fast route around this 60 line file but um, <laughs> I don't know yet yeah so the actual like import so I've got say a JSON two JSON files that eventually get put into the database mm-hmm. that's what takes the, the most time right now and I th- I think it's it's one of those things where you just brute force like I've got another city I want to get in I could stop and play with the process or I could just do it and I just always opt to just do it. So, so you mean it's like the, the saving, like the, the actual inserts of the database? Like, like, yeah, like street.create with data. Like, because I've got ridiculous callbacks, because later on in my lifetime of the app, I need to know numbers. So I keep counts. So I'm pretty sure that like auto increment or the cash counters, like, mm-hmm. that's got to be taking up a crazy amount of time. And if I could skip, if I could almost like skip active record, but still do the counts afterwards, that might speed it up tenfold. Yeah. So I would think that the counts would cost something. I would think that the individual insert statements would cost something too. Yeah. Uh, I would think the latency back and forth of the database would cost something. Yep. Yeah. So no, it's all in the same machine. Is that right? Yeah. I actually, um, no, that would another help tricky. reduce it. Right. So here's one thing I don't know. Um, and I've been too scared to try is, Right now, I do that process of, say, street.create, whatever. I'm getting all that from JSON through Active Record into the database. I'm doing that on my local machine. So then what I end up with is a local database with the data that's in SQL format. And I export that through you know, queries. And I can end up with a .SQL file with just the new cities, streets, and nodes. And I move that to the server. And that imports into the database in seconds. It's like stupid quick. Yeah. So, I mean, I, so. so the part that I'm worried about is could I just do that on the server in the first place? And I, I just get antsy about doing massive processing like that on production database. Just because you're going to peg it and the reads get slow and whatever exactly. else. Yeah. And. If something happens where it stops halfway through and now I've got partial data, I don't know, just like all the problems that could possibly come up 
with a massive... Well, I mean, transactions should make that part go okay. Yeah. You know, if you wrap the, all the inserts in a transaction, then if it blew up, it'd roll back. Yep. Um, yeah, that's worked well, like locally, because I've had a few. Yeah. I would think, so I mean, the, the problem with, and this isn't exactly a problem, but it's a thing, is that, is that the, you know, the Rails model is to save the models one at a time. Yeah. So if you wanted to make this fast, you would assemble a big insert statement. Right. And then just send the one insert. Well, basically what you're doing. Yeah. Except the app would do it. Right. Right. So it would create the insert statement and then fire uh, mm. the insert statement, uh, which would be a bulk insert into the database. It's the one at a time that's causing so much work, I bet. And plus yeah. the callbacks. But there's um, There's this gem... I don't remember the name of it. It's like Active Record Bulk Import or something. I think that might be the name. But it's um, basically geared towards that, where you just say, build all the objects, one SQL import, and you're done. And I've been able to use that a little bit for nodes. Mm. Um, but I forget offhand why I couldn't easily get it done with streets. I think it was like part of the relation where I needed to... like I, It wasn't necessarily a... Like a one import in one import, it was like kind of codependent. So I don't feel too strong about what I'm going to say right now, but the the idea of needing the counters right sounds a little suspicious to me. Yeah, that's worth looking at because the data. I mean, if the indexes are there, the database is fast as hell at doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you can. You can add the those sort of virtual attributes onto your model basically through the query, mm-hmm. right? So you could like you, you can do the aggregations in the query and then act as if they were always there in the model. I think the where people get a little bit skittish is that you want to be able to on an individual record be able to call like count of its children of some sort, yeah, and get it easily. And and you know if you're you don't want to end plus one that if you're if you've got a bunch of them and you're iterating and then calling count, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't have that many queries to make sure you're doing that right on. So mm-hmm. my guess is that you, my guess is that you probably don't need the the counters. Counters. Yeah. Um, well, that, I mean that's a that's a guess, but right. It's worth looking at at least. Yeah. Um, and I know that part of my leaderboard activity right now in part of that is to push the percent completion out of like a calculation that I'm doing in the, in the controller right now and put it into the database. So as I'm importing, you know, activities, as I'm processing to see what streets you've run, then I'm updating your percent complete, like in the database. So I don't, I don't have to do any more counts. So the idea of the count is probably moot. But, but you're, but you're storing the percent complete. Yeah. I plan on doing that. I mean, again, this is like, me guessing, yeah. I would think the vast majority of calculations you could just delay, do in the database, like percent complete. You could do that in the database just fine. Hmm. Maybe it's the lack of like really good SQL knowledge that, like, when if I do like uh, user streets count, you know, counting their completed streets or counting those completed streets, yeah, that's Rails that's going to do that. So that's the way I interact with it. But if I'm doing say, 300 users and getting all of their street counts. Oh, yeah. You could still do it. You can, you know, you join and then, and then say, like, you know, select, uh, count, 
uh, table name dot id as blah 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 count. Okay. And then you can use blah 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 count as an attribute on right. whatever it is you were querying, mm-hmm. whatever the record, the, the model that you were you know selected or querying from in the first place. Yeah. So you do it in SQL and not in a Rails. You document. do it. In, that's right. You do it in SQL. You add that to the now I mean you could you can make it in a in a scope in right. Rails and then merge it into a query and then that'll add that mm-hmm. um, attribute so to speak right that, that came from the database calculation into or onto the the individual instances. Right. And that would like keep me more comfortable when I like Rails code in in the fact that I don't I don't add a lot of SQL to my Rails code. It's, I use a lot of Active Record and let it handle everything, and that's probably that could be at the scale that I'm using it. A, a bottleneck. I think so. I mean, I and, and I hear you on that, but I mean, even this will be the first time I've ever quoted DHH in the podcast. But I think he says like, you know, there's nothing wrong with SQL, right? And I'm with him on that. Like, I I think uh, yeah, if you the need database it. Yeah. database yeah, is super awesome at this sort of work, and you know, anytime you've got a cache. You're, you're basically just, it's like a, you know, delayed kick me sign, yeah. right? Something <laughs> bad's going to happen. Yeah. So for me, and the caches always feel good short term, but they, I don't know, they're yeah. pretty rough because <laughs> it's hard to keep them, uh, well, they're not in sync right. with their cache. Yep. So I should do the second sponsor before we wrap up. Cool. Okay. <clears throat> Wait, which voice? Yeah, well, apparently there's no difference. Okay. So I will do the uh, uh, announcer voice for the rest of the month, but it's, okay. it's unclear if there's any difference between... Maybe people can call in and vote or something. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> just, I'll see if they can even tell. Because <laughs> <laughs> this announcer voice or just normal voice. Okay. So uh, our second sponsor for today is Codeship, a recurring sponsor, frequent sponsor, good friend of the show. <clears throat> CodeShip is a free continuous delivery service that's really simple to use. They offer 100 builds per month for five pro- uh, private projects for free. The whole product also has a big focus on usability. It's very easy to use. Set up continuous integration in a few easy steps and your software will automatically build when all your tests have passed. CodeShip has great support for multiple languages and test frameworks. You can easily integrate with Bitbucket or GitHub for hosting and then deploy to cloud services or your own servers. Start out with CodeShip's free plan. Setup only takes three minutes. Find CodeShip on codeship.io slash 5x5ruby and use the offer code 5x5ruby to get 20% off any plan for three months. You should also check out their blog at blog.codeship.io to get updates. Thanks to CodeShip for supporting both 5x5 and the Ruby on Rails podcast. CodeShip's pretty great. I haven't used it yet. I really, I'm dying to get into that. It's pretty great. Are you a, are you a TDD guy? So I... Like I, scale of 1 to 10. Um, 10 being like annoying TDD douche. Right. Uh, <laughs> 1 being annoying non-TDD douche. I'm think we're, I'm looking at like a... Seven, I think. Oh, that's pretty. That's pretty. TDD. I think I'm good. Yeah. So I don't do <laughs> I, I don't do the tests first. Like I, I have to work through testing code and testing like to see how it all shapes up. But I don't think that I'm outside of the scope of like one commit later 
at most, I'll do the spec. Got it. I'll use our spec. And I'm a, for, yeah, at work, you know, I, I work at a consulting firm and uh, I'm not comfortable when it drops below 98% coverage either. And so, yeah, I think I'm like on the way down the Do path. you test your own stuff more or less than you test the client stuff? Um, I've got less tests on my own stuff. And I think that it comes out to inexperience because on my own stuff with City Strides, I'm doing a lot of complex stuff. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that stuff I don't know how to test. Yeah. Um, because you know, I've only been at this for a few years and coming from a hobby to you know professional level. And I, I didn't start as a tester. I was zero tests. And it just like had some conversations with, with people along the way and it was it was obvious that I had to go down the path of testing and once I did it there was there was no way I could have untested code. So some of the project precedes that section of time for me. I kind of like came into testing afterwards. Right. So a lot of it like I don't know, just like mocking certain models. I just don't know how to do a lot of those things. Um so it's like as I learn them, I can go back and add more tests. But well, and I think that there's usually something like, like code that's hard to test. That there's usually something to it. I mean, sometimes yes. it's because they're integration tests and it's complicated to rig it up, or yeah. sometimes it's because you know they're intertwined with a bunch of other classes. And mm-hmm. you know, good luck. It's not going to be easy because the code's not factored in a way that's easy to test. Yeah, I think that that's probably a large part of it. Coming from a um, don't want to be rude about it, but coming from PHP and coming from, um, you know, I spent a minute with just flat PHP and making websites that way. Used code, uh, was it code igniter for a minute? I said brought me into the MVC world, mm-hmm. but I never, um, I never really got it in that level. So as I'm bringing it into Rails, I still find myself kind of needing to pinch myself and like not do that and to properly factor code and you know set up in the right place and not convolute the whole process like having you know one massive job that does all of this stuff and then breaking that into logical jobs like right. it's, it's <clears throat> stuff that I'm, I'm still working at well and hey i mean city strides does a bunch of cool stuff and if you're all worried about how to do it elegantly well you're right you wouldn't got wouldn't have gotten there yet yeah yeah it's pretty much like just brute force get it yeah get it done and refactor as i can there are definitely times where I, I just need to plow through on new features. And then there are other times where I really just want to clean things up. And I just let those both kind of balance themselves out. Cool. Well, I think we should, uh, we should wrap up. Uh, if someone wants to check out City Strides, what should they do? They should go to citystrides.com. And then in the top right, they can log in with uh, either RunKeeper, MapMyFitness, or Strava. Mm-hmm. If they don't run yet, nothing to do. Can they look at other people's uh, Yeah, they can cruise around. There's a little users uh, link up at the top. You can see what other people are doing. Um, That's cool. Once you, I I, I don't know if I've made the best choice here, but once you log in, you have a different interface of the homepage. So you get a sense of who's running what streets when. Um, You get a sense of, I've got three kind of leaderboards where they can see the fastest people of the, the, the month, um, the longest distance, the longest duration. 
So I've got a little bit more detail about like who else is doing whatever they're doing in their city. I'm looking at my <clears throat> at my uh, nice. new profile right now. Cool. It, it it does quite a bit. This app. Yeah, it's it's a big endeavor. Right. <laughs> right. It's like it's somewhere beyond the minimum viable. I think at this point. Yeah, I feel like. Um, yeah, I didn't even mention the shoe tracking. So, but I feel like I'm more of a back end developer. So that's kind of where I'm more comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, so, I'm saved in a way by foundation, which I use for the front end, uh, because I don't have to worry about... Oh, you use foundation, huh? Yeah. Huh. I love it. Absolutely love it. But I, I don't go any any further than that. Like, I haven't done any um, customizations. And it's it's one part not quite being able to and, you know, part not wanting to spend the time on something that somebody later on will hopefully... You know, be able to hire to just do it much quicker than I will, and I, I don't have the eye for it, so I don't. I don't want to screw anything up from the choices they've made. You even integrated uh, discuss. Is yeah, it discuss. Yeah, I. I say discuss. Yeah, I think that's how you probably were supposed yeah. to say. Yeah, I tossed that in a in a few places for like uh, activities and streets to get a little feel for how people would interact and be a little bit more social. Um, I haven't seen a lot of use for that. Like it, it hasn't usage hasn't gone up, but I don't know how much of that is. The fact that it's on a hidden page, ish, yeah. you know, or if uh, people just don't want to talk. It's not really my thing, right? I'm not sure if it's other people's I mean, thing. I don't know what you'd say, but I, I've had requests for comments. <laughs> but I mean, way to go, nice run. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I got the weather information for each run too, which I haven't done anything significant with yet. That's cool. So you can tell me about that. So that's like uh, I use Forecast.io, which is absolutely fantastic if you're doing anything with weather you need to use their api because it's brilliant. and you can it's time variance you can say like at this point in time what was the weather yeah you can say back to i think it's i don't know how many years it is back but you can go years back even if it's i mean yeah it's not hours or moments no, no you get you get like what was that day in like 1950 i don't know what was the weather on that day mm -hmm. and they'll give that to you they they connect with like half dozen weather services got it so um and then you get like a nice leeway in the front end, so you can learn a lot about what the weather's coming. Yeah, but that's not what I use here. Well, it makes sense that our run felt good because it says that our run was uh, seventy-three degrees, nice. five mile an hour wind, uh, winds, and cloudy. Cool, mostly cloudy. Yeah, I based it off the beginning of the run, and that's not good for a lot of people that do fifty-mile runs, you know, across huge amounts of terrain. But it's good for most people. I think that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I think our run was, let's see, it was only uh, 26 minutes, so... Oh, okay. That felt like a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. So what if, what, if they, uh, what if people want to connect with you? I'm at James Chevalier on Twitter. J-A-M-E-S-C-H-E-V-A-L-I-E-R. Uh-huh. Um, is it like, is it prominent on City Strides that it's you behind it? I don't think so, and except really? for the fact that... In the users, I'm first, which I'm toying around with maybe switching that up. Yeah, you, I'm the you, example you looking everywhere. very fancy. Dapper's my wedding photo. Yeah. I love that one. Well, here's my... I, I think it's nice with a kind of like a small, um, you know, indie build service like this to know who built it. I yeah. think I like having your, your profile sort of uh, present and badged as... 
the guy that made this thing. Cool. I think it's cool. Uh, or I, I mean, it's not a badge now, but I, I knew who you were, so I liked it. Um, yeah. I don't know if... Um, I know I use myself for like all the examples because I was easiest, but and I'm first in the user list. But I haven't really gone into the um, like the about page to really showcase myself there. Twenty six thousand activities. Yeah, it's a lot of runs. A, there's a lot, dude. I wish I had my uh, laptop up here because the 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 row numbers on those tables are right. pretty big. Strava just came out with a post that was really interesting about um, hitting the top end limit of ID because they used int. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they, I'm going to... They were the ones who put that out? I read yeah, that. Yeah, so I'm about to hit that. Really? So, yeah, so I got to switch that up. Going <laughs> to string IDs. What did they use? They used, like... I thought they went to big int or something. Oh, did they? I don't know. But then okay. you got another limit, so I don't know. I think the strings you, you don't. That's right. why... That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's obviously always a limit, but it's yeah. not big. Mm -hmm. All right, so we covered citystrides.com. You on Twitter? Anything else you want to promote? Uh, no, I think this is this is where I'm putting my my time and effort in. <laughs> you want to divide it? <laughs> no, I'm trying not to. You don't have a banjo band? You want to? <laughs> <laughs> no banjo band yet. All right. No banjo yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been fun. Um, new deal to have uh, an in-person conversation. I think it's good. This was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming by. For uh, those that want to connect with me, I'm barely known on Twitter. Thanks.